Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Today's episode was recorded before the SAG-AFTRA strike began on July 14th. Table for Two thanks you, as always, for tuning in and supporting entertainers. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Table for Two. We're back in my hometown, New York City, at the unrivaled Via Corota, and I'm thrilled to be having lunch with another hometown boy today. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. You look good. You know, you know hang, hanging in there, as they say. <laughs> I mean, he's a Broadway actor, a movie star, and he's married to one of the most famous actresses in the world, Sarah Jessica Parker. He and Sarah Jessica are taking Plaza Suite, the Neil Simon play, to London's West End next year, following what was a sold-out Broadway run. He was just in No Hard Feelings, one of the biggest comedies of 2023, He's also playing the infamous farmer exec, Richard Sackler, in the Netflix limited series, Painkiller. What do you want to eat? Oh. Do you need a menu? No, what are you eating? I'm going to do the cacio de pepe because I have to. That's good. That's good. That's right. Today, we're having lunch with Matthew Broderick. Same, that's delicious. Sorry, listeners at home that you can't have just a little (laughs) sip of that. So, pull up a chair. Pour yourself a glass of rosé and enjoy the show. I'm Bruce Bozzi, and this is my podcast, Table for Two. I kind of want to start, Matthew. I have such an affinity for you. I think you're just one of the nicest people, most talented people. Thank you. You're a New York boy, grew up in the village. I was a huge fan of your dad as well. He's an actor. He was in a TV show called Family, for those of you who don't know. Uh, James Broderick. Kind of show that was so special and so embodied such, like, warmth. What was it like growing up in New York City? Your kid, New York. Yeah. Which was different, you know, than it is now for your kids. Yeah, it sure was. Let's see, I grew up on uh, Washington Square North. I know, I can't believe that. I always think of you when I pass by that street. It's a series of brownstone. Yeah, yeah. We were in the one... Not brownstone, the one like apartment, shabby apartment building on that block <laughs> was us. Um, 
But I was born on Ninth Street and Fifth Avenue in a very small apartment with my two. We were all in one room, me and my two sisters. Wow, you were born in? No, okay. I was born in the hospital. <laughs> I was going to say, but I was taken in my blanket to Ninth uh, Street <laughs> until I was wow. four, and then I moved. The big move was to Washington. Was two blocks down Fifth. Okay, and uh, then we had our own bedroom. Right. So that's where I really grew up. The village was. The park was. There was bongos and drums all day. You know, we had some windows facing the park. Yeah. And there's a lot of music all the time. There was less, like, rules. Right, It was definitely. open all night. Yep. Stuff was going it down was in crazy. that park. Yeah, yeah it wasn't. And, and because you faced the park, when it got dark, it was dark on the other side. It's mm. like normally there's two sides of the street that have lights, so right. it could get a little dicey. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did you um, get mugged? I got mugged often. Um <laughs> All through the village. Really? I've been mugged all over the village. <laughs> Did um, you really? And Times Square area. Come on. Uh, Upper West Side. Uh, Explain yeah. to the listener, because I got mugged <laughs> once on 3rd Avenue, and they were like, we're going to shove your head through this like That's window. Nice. Give That's us, nice. like, when I had like five bucks, it was like 19. You know, I never had any money, and people constantly wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the target over you that you think that you were constantly getting mugged? Um... I think a young guy, you know, this is like, I'm talking like 12, you know, right. yeah, that's no, when it happened that's a it. lot. Yeah, me too. And it was mostly other boys, you know, yes. just being bullies yeah. and, you know, getting money, you know, lunch money or something right. like that. Yeah. But sometimes somewhat scary. Yeah. You know, uh, me and my friend Garrow were skateboarding in Central Park once and a, a massive gang came flying out and took our skateboards and I got whacked in the head with a some sort of stick that's the only time I got kind of wow. hurt so you know it was no not a joke yeah and thank god you know we, we, were, we all survived it but but and most of them were not like that they were more intimidating I'm yeah. gonna put your head through the glass right and, and I, you, me, you know give me what you got or you get on the subway and somebody would sit next to you and put their arm around you rather aggressively <laughs> and say you know what's in your pocket what do you what, what's your name where are you know just be like asking a lot of questions and yeah just waiting for praying for the train to come out of the tunnel onto right. the platform, you know. I still well, remember that. I mean, don't you think... A skill set is born from being a kid in New York. Yeah. Your parents are not... They're doing their thing. They yes. trust the world, and you're surviving. It's true. Yeah, back then, they weren't as... At least, it didn't feel like it. They weren't as watchful as we are to our kids, you no. know. It wasn't... No, they were not watchful at all. Not, Let's be just really, Yeah, they were really kind of like, they loved go us. to the park and yeah. come back yeah. in time for dinner. And right. that was it. Would you even come back and say, I was mugged today on the subway or just... Once or twice, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes like a, a police officer would come to our school and give us a talk, you know, <laughs> how to react properly when you're being mugged. Right. And uh, he said, always bring money with you. Right. Don't go out with no money yep. and immediately give it up. Right. And try to make the experience as fast as possible. Okay. The more time you're haggling or yeah. discussing, the more time you're in the situation, the worse. I right. always remembered that. So right. try to have it. That's a good Reach lesson. a conclusion. Right. Even if the conclusion is your own death, do it as quickly <laughs> as possible. So you had like your band of brothers and you were just like kind of, I, had, I mean, yeah. I think New York City, growing up in New York City is one of the best places to grow up. Yeah, well, it, it was great for me. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I don't have anything to compare it to, right. you know, but uh, my best friend, 
then and still, it, you know, one of my very best friends is named Garrow, and uh, he lived a block from me. So we would walk to school together and walk home from school together. He lived in Washington News. And uh, as we grew up, you know, we, we used the park for softball, uh, skateboarding, um, him frisbee. Uh, you know, it was like a like a, more like a playground back then. Right. I guess yeah. it still is, you know, yeah, they around the fountain yeah. and all that. Yeah. But, but it used to be, even those fields were improvised uh, yeah. ball fields, you know. Right. Now they're kind of like going on the grass and whatever. Right, there's chains and stuff, right. so you can't. Yeah, and I knew some neighborhood kids that way, too. So, uh, right. you know, through through softball and baseball, I knew those kids. And and some of them I still see, and I don't remember, we don't remember each other's names, but there's always a wave. Oh, wow, you know, see, that's see. the thing about it. New York, to me, don't you kind of feel like it's Mayberry in a, it, a weird yeah, way? Yeah, it's, it's little Mayberries all over the place. Like, yeah. We recently moved two blocks, and I feel like I'm in another... Uh, <laughs> I know, it's crazy, right? Yeah, I'm like, I go to a different place <laughs> to get the water. Everything's different, yeah. you know? And, uh, and like you have to establish new relationships. Yes, and which train station do I go to? And um, it's just, it's a new world, and it's only, it's only two blocks away. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. So you're like one with the subway. Like I'm you, a subway man, yeah. yeah. Because some people of your nature, of your stature, of your celebrity yes. would not be so comfy on yeah. the number one and nine. The and number one is beautiful train. <laughs> I love the uh, two the and nine three. nine doesn't exist. Nine, anymore. no. It used to be the one nine. Yeah. I mean, traffic is so horrendous in New York. It's just, I love to get under that traffic. Right. And uh, I'm not so, I don't get bothered on the train. You don't? Not really, no. Are you like baseball hat, dark glasses? Uh, I might try to wear a hat. Yeah. But, uh, I don't wear dark glasses, and uh, like I even like reading about how they built the subway. Right. I kind of like subways. I like it even when I go to another country. Yeah. I like to take the tube, right? Or you know the yeah. metro. Or right. I was curious about cities, how they get around. Right. I've always liked that. I think that's the best way to learn. The city. Yeah. And if you're in New York, it's it's really the most efficient. Otherwise, you're just you're absolutely. Stuck. It's horrible. So, a little bit about your parents. So, your mom's an artist, yeah. was an artist, yeah. a great artist. I went to her shows, huh. the show, and your dad, incredible actor. Um, were they the influence for you to get into the arts? Was that How did that happen for um, a young Matthew? Yeah, they, they probably were. Um, you know, I grew up loving to draw, for instance, you know, and uh, I went to a school that was very, called City and Country, very progressive yes. back then, particularly, yeah. and... Um, really good art studio and clay and I've always liked art and uh, but I, I didn't know I, I never thought about being an actor really but our house was always talking about paintings or plays or uh, wow. my you know my parents friends were mostly in theater or uh, some kind of show business but also artists coming and going yeah right. but you know my father was from New Hampshire and uh, he didn't get to New York till he was in his 20s and right. So he wasn't exactly a bohemian. He was, he seemed like somebody from New Hampshire, right. you know? <laughs> right. And, uh, he did. I mean, I didn't know your dad, but he yeah. certainly, even in the role he played on yeah. Family, that yeah. was... Yeah, he, he was he was a little like that, but much funnier. Okay. And um, his, uh, you know, his dad was a letter carrier. Like, he, he did not come from the village Artie world, right. but my mom came kind of... She was wealthy, when she was a kid on, you know, on Park Avenue where right. she grew up. Right. But always wanted to get to the village, you know? <laughs> right. She wow, went to Dalton. Okay, right. Like that. So that's the combination that 
I grew up in. How did they meet? They met at acting school. My father, when he got out of the Navy, went to um, a place called the Neighborhood Playhouse, a very famous acting school. Yeah. And my mom was there as a playwright, actually. Oh, okay. Because somebody had said, you know, if you want to write plays, you should take an acting class. So... And there's even a picture of them in really? the same class, yeah. Well, that's great. So I grew up like that. I grew up in a lot in backstage at theaters with my father. We, we would have, um, our summers were uh, often, he'd get a job at a summer theater, and the family would get to go to, you know, Stockbridge, Massachusetts, or wherever it was, right. and a little house. So that's how I got out of the city. And uh, I liked to be at the theater. Like, I would go with him at night because I just liked to be backstage. Right. It wasn't that I wanted to be an actor particularly right. or whatever, but I wanted to be in that... Something about it. I liked the room. I don't yeah. know what it is. I liked uh, I liked the atmosphere backstage. I liked the quiet, you know, mm-hmm. and the seriousness of it. Right. You know, the important, the pretend importance of it. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that was a big part of probably why Do I Do you remember... It specific shows that you saw that really affected you? Um, yeah, my father did uh, House of Blue Leaves, uh, which was very good. He did it in Chicago and maybe someplace else, too. And he was great in that one. And I loved that. I watched that a million times. And he did an O'Neill play, um, Desire Under the Elms, mm-hmm. that had Eva Marie Saint in it. Wow. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, John Ritter right, John was Ritter. in it. Even Marie Saint was in it. Yeah. My father was in it. Okay. And it went, it was like, it was successful. You know, it went to three different cities, I believe. And I watched that play a billion times. Okay. Whether it was good or not, I, I think it was good. But I just like to, I just like to watch it. Life is so fascinating to me because you say Eva Marie Saint, who stars in a movie with Marlon Brando called On the Waterfront. Right. And then later on in your life, you star in a movie with Marlon Brando called The Freshman. Like, there's just something about yeah. that. It's, it's incredible. I and, mean, and sometimes I don't, a lot of, I have memories like that where I, I don't realize how incredible it is until I, now I'm watching even Marie Saint and I'll be like, what the hell? Why didn't I just yes, squeeze her and right. say, I can't believe I'm with you? Right. You know? Because uh, you didn't know, you don't know. I just saw the documentary about Mary Tyler Moore that's on right how now. How great is that? So good. How emotional. And I met her a couple of times, you know, yeah. over the years. And we did some, like, thing for the ASPCA together. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had just told her, I'm madly in love with you since right. I was little. And right. I can't believe what you've done for the world. And, right. you know, but you don't do those things, you know. But you don't. You I can't. met Ed Asner, and I never said, you're the greatest <laughs> freaking actor, the funniest person. I love Ed Asner, but I never really told him that. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Thanks for joining us on Table for Two. Matthew grew up in the theater, watching his father perform countless times. So, it seems natural that he would end up acting as well. I'm curious when he made the transition to center stage. What was the first sort of lean into the theater world where I'm going to actually be in front now? Yeah. Did that happen in high school? Probably, yeah. I mean, a little bit in, you know, little plays in grammar school, which I enjoyed. But then, also, I should mention when I was five, I wrote on my library card, actor as profession. You did? That's what what I'm told. (laughs) 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 But I didn't do anything about it. That is so cute. (laughs) Um... But then in high school, I liked sports, you know, and uh, I really liked acting, but I was afraid to even tell anybody that. Oh, to be made fun of? I don't know. I, was, I think I was very, I was actually pretty shy. I was kind of didn't want to audition. And a lot of actors are not very outgoing, right. it seems like, uh, at least at first, right. you know, they're guarded or something. But, uh, you know, I, I hurt my knee really badly when I was about 15. With sports? Yeah. Were you a baseball player? No, I was playing soccer at that time. Yeah. Not, not very seriously, but I I loved it. I worked hard and I, you know, had surgery. Quite serious. Uh, oh, wow. For a knee. And, uh, like a meniscus torn? Yeah, and like dislocated kneecap and right. the whole thing had to... Right. And it was just back when they had to... Right, like it was a big surgery. Yeah. It wasn't like a little surgery. Right. So I had no excuse, so I auditioned for the play because I couldn't play sports. Right. And um, I did uh, Midsummer Night's Dream in high school. Okay. Little teeny part. Right. Got a couple of laughs. You did? Yeah. And I thought, I was like Michael Corleone when, uh, <laughs> you know, when the people are going to kill his father at the hospital. Yeah. And the car goes by and the florist's hands are shaking. <laughs> right, right. And Michael Corleone's hands are steady as a rock. Right. When I was on stage, nervous as I had been all month getting right. ready, I was like, I'm not that nervous. I'm kind of, uh, I'm nervous, but I feel somewhat in control up here. Right. You were supposed to be there. Yeah, I had okay. some little inkling that this is uh, something I could maybe do. So you enjoyed that little piece. I enjoyed my little yeah. part, and that led to another high school part, <clears throat> and a bigger part. 
when did you start to flip into auditioning for professional stuff? Well, somebody... What year are we at now? Uh, so, like, you graduated... Uh, we're talking early 80s, late... I think I graduated in 80. 80. Okay, so that's... I graduated a, high school in 80. Right, so it's a big decade now. Yeah. For you, what was the first, like, oh, okay, we're gonna, you're going to go up for this role? There was a, a student at, at my school whose mother was a casting director, Barbara Kleeman. Okay. And um, I think she, call, she called, like, the director of the theater stuff at the school and said you know do you have any anybody 15 or whatever who's okay. good and a couple of us went and auditioned for her that's my memory of it for what I, I don't remember that it was for anything it must have been I didn't get whatever part it was <laughs> but she took a interest in me okay you know when other things came up I would I read a few times and then somebody said there's an agent and this name is going to sound like I'm making it up, but named Fifi Oscard. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It was a big agency, I believe. Really? Mostly for kids and maybe poodles. <laughs> Fifi, Fifi Oscard. Fifi Oscard. That was her name. But she wasn't my agent. I was somebody below her. Okay. She was so, top dog. Yes. And you were... Sasha Silverstein and Steve Carlson. So I suddenly had an agent, and then I started getting a lot of auditions. Really? And I didn't get any parts, but I... Uh, right away but I guess I got enough you know where somebody called they said he, we don't want him but he was good or right. whatever they kept it was like affirmation enough like to go knew forward you were in there okay yeah I got a part in a huge movie what uh, movie it was called No Small Affair and I was opposite Sally Field and it didn't get made well it did get made later right but I was the lead you know and it was directed by Marty Ritt, and they had all just won Oscars for uh, Norma Ray. Right. You know, it was a top, yeah, top of the line Columbia Pictures. Your first job was yes, going to be. That was my first paying job. And I auditioned, you know, a dozen times. Right. And then with Sally Field and a hotel room and Marty right. Ritt. And, right. And we shot. I worked for months trying to, you know, because I was so young and naive, trying to. I was playing a photographer, so I had a. Cameron, I tried to learn photography. I tried to full-on De Niro myself, you know. Right. Wait a minute. So this was made later, yes. years later, with, with John Demi Cryer Moore. and Demi. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Okay. And uh, we shot for about two weeks, and it went okay for a while. But then I started to feel like they didn't really like me that much, Marty Ritt, okay. uh, or something. There were a couple of scenes where he was kind of on me. I guess he was having health issues, and there was doctors coming to the set. His blood pressure was super high. And then they called and said, don't come to work, you know. Or no, I came to work and they said, just don't change. Just stay in your... Uh, Street clothes. Yeah, in your camper, you know, right. your honey wagon ah, or whatever. Yeah. I played catch crew in Central Park with some of the crew. I was there right. all day. And then they said, go home, we'll call you tomorrow. We're still delayed, we're delayed. And then a few days later, my agent called and said, it's over. Wow. He said, sit down. But, well, that's a drag, but it was... I thought my was ruined. I thought I was ruined. But yeah, you're right. But it positioned you, I mean... I you're... thought that, but I also felt like I had failed, you, you know? messed up. Which I don't really think is true. I, I Sally Field wrote me a really nice letter, yeah. you know, saying hang in there and... Uh, I think it's the nature of the business. It I wasn't, guess it is. Yeah. I didn't know that, though. For right. your first job, to dis right. very few movies yeah. disintegrate two weeks in, yeah. I think. It could kill the spirit. Uh, I was... I think, looking back on it, I became depressed. I spent a summer in New York, basically lying around my parents' house and uh, right. 
whining and just being I, quiet. I kind of, yeah, I bet. I mean, here you are in Yeah, and now the I'm room. auditioning for a radio spot about bubble yarn, <laughs> literally, and not getting it. Right. You know, or a summer stock small part. Yeah. And, they're, and they're not letting me finish the audition. Right. Like I've gone from having my Academy Award speech, right. working on that in the tub at night, to, uh, you know, Bubble Yum's now super yum. There's never been a yum like this. And, then they, okay, and they're like, you, no, you're not you're good right. enough. You're not good enough for that. Um, so the career was over, I thought. It was done. It wrapped yeah. up. Done. Well, okay. And there was always the looming, if I really fail, I'll have to go to college. Right. And my grades were such that the colleges that I had been instructed to apply to were, you know, names I had never heard of. <laughs> so I was, uh, I, mean, I didn't want to do that. You've talked a lot about Ferris Bueller, but mm. you beat out a significant amount of people for this role. Very famous people who have gone on. When did that pivot? So like the bubble yum ends and then you're like, yeah. okay, I'm back in the room. I'm not and are you still with the, the sage? Fifi, Oscars. Fifi. So with Fifi, yeah. okay. And she's slugging away, you know, they were really trying. And um, I love Fifi. What happened was I then read for a four hour play about gay people in an off-Broadway theater which seemed, you know... Are you talking about Torch Song? Yeah. <laughs> nobody knew it was Torch Song. It was just this incredibly long, you know... But I read for it with this very strange, you know... <laughs> I read with Harvey. Harvey Firestein. Yes. And, um, but he was really nice. And actually, when I read it, I was like, this is so funny. I loved it. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the producer came out and said, we want to hire you. They said, we want to hire you. And my agent was like, well, I'm not sure your first job should be... You know, this or yeah. so long and outside of the norm, I guess, meaning don't play a gay guy, right. actually. Right. He was gay. You know, right. it wasn't. No, but, but at the still, time, it was verboten. Know. Right. It was like. And I was like, I'm not going to go back to playing Bubble Yum. Uh, no, I'm doing the, this part. Thank right. You, thank you very much. And uh, so, uh, you know, the play opened. Nobody came at first. The roof leaked and water literally poured into the apart our fake apartment. It was four, over four hours long, I think. I saw it. I don't... But good. It, it was very good. Did it get cut down eventually? It did. Okay, because I don't remember this was the hours. full version. I was also assistant stage manager. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was supposed to run the slideshow for Act Two. Beauty of sitting backstage with your dad all those years. Yes. Prep that piece. Okay. I was fired from that because all I did was complain. I was like, I can't get ready for the third <laughs> act if I'm making the slides go. And they're like, okay, don't do We'll do that part. Like, all, all you have to do is replug the light board between act two and three. And I was like, well, then I have to go out through the audience and plug in my costume. You know, I don't really want to. They're like, all right, don't do anything. Uh, so I got myself out of that. Fired from the back. Yeah. Okay. $107 a week. Okay. That job. But then, you know, the times came to that show. Yep. And Mel Gusso and was like, this is fantastic. And. Suddenly it was packed. Right. Nobody could get in. Yeah. So now casting directors and stuff, when I go to audition, I say, if you want to see me, I'm in. And they're like, oh, I, I hear that play is great. Mm -hmm. Can you get me in? Right. So now it's a very different perspective. Sure. When you're at a meeting and the director says, yeah. can I get a ticket? Or right. I just saw you Tuesday. You're in a whole different league. Yeah. So that was it. And 
that led to, you know, probably uh, Brighton Beach memoirs yep. on Broadway and, and more games. You know, I was auditioning for War Games at the same time as Brighton Beach Memoirs, and basically got those two parts at the same time. Doing Torch Song at night and auditioning for... Right. And I got cast in a lead of a movie and a lead of a Broadway play. Right. I got cast in Brighton Beach, and while I'm auditioning for Brighton Beach, they're like, by the way, we're doing a movie this summer, Neil Simon. Max Dugan returns with Marsha Mason. and Right. And they say, will you read these scenes out loud? This is at the audition for Brighton Beach. Okay. So I read those scenes with the director right. sitting next to him, Herbert yeah. Ross. And I left there and they're like, oh, okay, both. Do, we want you to do the movie. And the, so suddenly I had a lead in a Broadway show and my first movie. Right. Which I was so, I didn't have any feelings about until I called How my, old are you at this point? 20? 19? Jeez. 19. Yeah. I called my dad, who is, uh, by the way, dying of cancer. Yeah. Just found out. And he goes crazy with excitement. Nice. And that was when I was like, oh, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know? And um, it does not happen. Yeah. It really doesn't happen. Confluent. But you're, when you're that age, you're sort of like, right. you know, I don't know. And uh, I think I leave Torch Song to go shoot Max Dugan Returns. Okay. And while I'm shooting Max Dugan Returns, War Games is still having callbacks. That's what happens. Okay. So my dad says, they said they want me to read again for War Games. And I've read so many times. And my dad said, ask them to see if they could see some dailies from uh, Max Dugan, what you're shooting now. Right. Which is really smart. smart. And I told Herbert Ross, and he was like, oh, absolutely. I'll run. I know just what to show them. And he showed a good scene of me and Jason Robards for mm -hmm. Marty Brest, who was directing War yeah. Games. And uh, that's how I got that. You know, I had a lot of help from people like Herbert Ross or my dad or all these people making very smart decisions for me. You know, yeah. you, you need that. And uh, even Fifi Oscar <laughs> trying so hard. Who, as soon as I got a... Okay. So did you, when did you drop Fifi? Well, that's what's so tragic I about mean, show business. Oh, no. As soon as I got a few real jobs, I was yeah, like... Yeah, see you, Fifi. I have to get somebody <laughs> with a more serious name, you know? Um <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it was awful. No, but, it was but they horrible. But they weren't quite equipped to, you know, right. I was trying to rush the war games to decide. That's what happened. Because right. I had another little play. And I was like, they have to decide or I'm not going to be available, right. I said. And then Herbert Ross heard that, the director. And mm -hmm. he said, I'd like you to meet somebody from William Morris. <laughs> I think you should talk to right. Arnold Stiefel. And I talked to him and he said, you cannot tell MGM they have to decide now because you have an off-broad, you have a summer stock play coming up. So don't right. stop that. Zip it. You can't do that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I was at a restaurant, you know, in a phone booth. And he said, don't do that. And he said, and, and, I'll, and, and I was like, and you can represent me now for, and he said, yeah. So I had to call, uh, did I call? I probably didn't. I probably had somebody else call. <laughs> Why? Because you were shy? I was probably scared to call my agents who had oh, killed definitely. themselves to yeah, get no. me to this point to say, yeah. now that I'm doing better, you're on your own. I know. You know? Horrible. Yeah. It's go I mean, it's the curse of small agencies. Yeah. You know, they build and then you go. But that's the reality of life. That's true. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents 
a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Welcome back to Table for Two. Matthew has been in countless amazing films, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off holds a soft spot in many viewers' hearts. Being a huge fan of John Hughes' movies, I wonder what was it like to get the role and to work with him? So War Games comes first. Is Bueller just the ultimate game changer? Is that when you realize, okay, well, I did it? You know... I guess so, but to, to, it not just. I already. I thought I was doing pretty well. I had yeah. war games and uh, yeah. and I was being sent a lot. And one of those was was Ferris Bueller, and uh, and everybody was like, John Hughes is the. Um, thank you, listeners at home. I'm having another rosé. <laughs> um, we didn't have to share that. We well, see how Never honest we are here. No, it's fine. Uh, he, he was called the Steven Spielberg of teen movies. Yes, but I didn't immediately even. I remember I was like, well, I'm talking to the audience. I'm just doing that in the play. I keep talking to the audience. Maybe yeah. I should uh, I should look for something else. And the aforementioned Arnold Stiefel that time <laughs> flew to New York. Like, I hadn't even hung up the phone discussing with him whether I should do Ferris Bueller. And he was basically standing behind me saying, let's talk about it. And uh, breaking the fourth wall is... Yeah, I thought... I mean, oh, you I'm, do it like no other. Well, but. I... He, he was like, yeah, you're doing it. And um, <laughs> and even my mom, I remember, was like, oh, yeah, you better do that. So I did it. Not to say I didn't think it was great when I read it. And, uh, you know, John was a very, he was a rather chilly character when you would first meet him. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't like instantly, <laughs> oh, this is, you know, neat. But I grew to adore him, too, yeah. actually. And uh, it was an amazing experience, you know. And then the freshman. And The Freshman's a really fun movie, and it's a really interesting uh, plot line. And you work with Brando, which sort of get him still in 
the good Brando before he kind of lost the plot. Yeah. You know, I feel. I think what so. was that? What as an actor, what what was that like to step onto a set and know that you're working with the man who changed the yeah. acting? I couldn't believe it was happening. You know, I, when I first got sent the script, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I'm gonna, we're gonna be all sign up to do this movie, and then he's gonna quit, right?" Right. <laughs> and they're like, "No, no," and I was like. You're pretending that he's doing the movie so that, you know, I'll play a teen one last time. And that's how badly you want me. You're pretending that Marlon Brando's going to do it. I'm like, no. We went and met Marlon Brando on his island, and he's doing it. I swear to God. It's Andy Bergman, the wonderful screenwriter and director. And um, so, okay. And I still never really thought he'd show up, you know? Not really. Not really. And then, uh, but I go to Toronto, and... We rehearsed, me and Bruno Kirby, right. Penelope Ann Miller, and uh, the, day, the day that Marlon is coming, I remember Bruno Kirby sat in the lobby of the hotel, like, with a newspaper with, with the holes cuffed to the eyes. <laughs> I mean, he really did have, like, a book with him, because he wanted to see him walk All into right. the, which I believe he did finally, and he was like, yeah, he's here, we saw him, he walked in. And then the next day's rehearsal... And we're all rehearsing, and now Marlon is a little bit late. Okay. So I was like, ah, okay, a little bit late. <laughs> well, it gets a little longer, and I'm like, right, I, now yes. it happens. Mm, now Marlon right. turns out to be back in Tahiti. <laughs> he's back on the island. Yeah, he's in. So, but sure enough, maybe an hour or whatever it is, he and uh, and and right. uh, we all go to the you know the apartment door and. Right. Open it, and Marlon Brando is on his hands and knees because he's apologizing for being late. You're kidding me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, whatever happened. And uh, so he was on his knees, I think, like in a praying thing, you know, jokingly apologizing. Sure. And my memory is he had a sort of a cowboy hat on, <laughs> uh, somewhat feminine sunglasses, and uh, a velour sweatsuit of some kind. <laughs> I've never been sure if that's really what I saw, but um, that's what You're I remember. You're killing my Stanley Kowalski. <laughs> he did not look like Stanley Kowalski. But, uh, and then he got up and, you know, hugged everybody and uh, sat down and we all rehearsed together at the, at the dining table. Told a few stories. He didn't really want to rehearse very much. He said, okay. I don't really like to rehearse very much. Yep. And, uh, and he, sure enough, there he was. And he was... Very friendly to me and, and particularly to Bruno Kirby. He took a shine to Bruno Kirby. Oh, really? And um, he was hard on production. Okay. You know, he's somebody who always thought they were out to get him and they needed to be struck down. Right. You know, he was Interesting. Not, yeah, so he was hard for people who had to schedule him or, or Probably pay him. Probably years of yeah. something. Yeah, and that, that's where his difficultness it, it wasn't for other... If you're acting with him, I don't... There are probably very few actors who would have said, I don't know, but who would say Marlon was difficult or I, I didn't like working right. with him. I think people who would say he was difficult are people who were in a position of saying, you have to be here an extra two hours or we're going to yeah. lose this location. Did you walk away from that experience, not only in disbelief, but like well, with feeling like you had like a added something new to the your craft, your art, by working with him? I hope it did. I wanted it to. Yeah. I mean, I knew that it was a huge opportunity to watch him work up close, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, 
He's basically my favorite actor ever. Yeah. Um, so every moment I had with him was precious and, yeah. and heightened. You almost have to get over that a little bit so that you can, right? You know, be a, a live in the scene and not and just be real, be like a like... crazy person staring at him. You know, <laughs> not speaking. <laughs> like action. <laughs> yeah, talk. Matthew, we said Matthew, action. Say the line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it had a surreal feeling. I bet. It was very hard to be like just doing a scene. But then again, he's so good and was so entertaining to watch mm -hmm. that it was really funny and made me want to, you know, hit yeah. the ball back in yeah. some way. So I adored working with him. It was like it was it was like hitting a ball back and forth with, you know, Agassi or somebody yeah, or you right. know, it just was like top level. This is just great. Right. Matthew has shared so many great stories with us today. And if he ever wrote a book, I'm sure it would be as fascinating as our lunch. But would he ever consider putting his life on the page after living so much of it on the screen? So some fun questions as we come to a close. And I really hope everyone enjoyed this because I was so I looking forward. Did you, did you, Matthew? Yeah, I think so, you're okay. an incredibly good interviewer. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, would you ever write a book about your life, a memoir, you know, kind of focusing it on, it's so, your, your life is very fascinating. Yeah, I, I have thought about it a little bit. I mean, once in a while people bring it up or, but, uh, maybe if I could do, if I had some good idea about it, I, I uh, I don't just want to like, right. I don't want to betray people. You know what I mean? It's hard. I don't right. want to. What, what does Marlon Brando want me to say about? I'm, I'm not that concerned about right. that one. <laughs> everything's been written about right. him. Yeah. But, uh, no, but I get it. There's like that sensitivity. These people are alive. Of and, being, and, yeah. Right. Does a title come to mind? Oh, I used to have a few titles. Okay. Just as a joke with my friends. <laughs> First one was called, They Called Me Pal. And it's just a picture of me with pictures of uh, different movie stars who I, you know, <laughs> That you, Marlon Brando right. or Jason yeah. Bards or Morgan Freeman. Right. They called me pal. That's All I had cool. was a title. Right. The second installment was called uh, Preserving the Island, which was about hair loss and trying to keep <laughs> uh, the hair that's in the middle and the front of your head connected to the back of your head. So those are the middle years. Okay, those are the middle years. And the final was called Maybe I'm a Monster. <laughs> and it was just... What? This is something me and Kenny Lonergan came up with. It was a, uh, you know, a trilogy about my life. And the, and the third book, I was just sort of in a, you know, in pants and a sweater looking off into a sunset. You know, maybe I'm a monster. Maybe I, maybe I did a lot of bad things. And uh, So those are the three books. That cracks me up. Do you have, uh, if you, when you sit down, is there like a decade of music that you just sink into? I, I, I always kind of look at you and I feel like the sort of jazz, sort of yeah. old school sort I know. of way. What, yeah. do you, what kind of music does MB... You realize how predictable you are now with computers because they're like, right. oh, you're just that type. We know exactly what you want. You know, you <laughs> thought you were so unique. Right. It's like nothing at all is unique <laughs> about you. They know everything I like. Right. Everything. Yeah. They know it before you know I it know. now. You think it and it shows up on your it's, phone. I know. Sometimes I haven't even said it out loud. No. You know. It scares the hell out of me. Yeah. I like, you know, jazz. I, 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 I mean, I like very eclectic music, but I definitely like, from the time I was in my teens or 20s, I started liking uh, old, you know, Louis Armstrong, and uh, I like 20s, 30s 
40s. I love that kind of music. I like, um, and then I like, you know, Marvin Gaye or that, yeah, that, era, like that era, you know. And then I kind of dropped out after that. Well, uh, that's me too. Then you know? it's like enough. I, mean, like, I don't even know. I like, uh, but I, when the kids play the tunes for me, I right. like them, but I don't really know what any of it is. Well, Matthew Broderick, I have to say this. Having lunch with you with a microphone or without and dinner is a pure joy for me. Your family, I think, is incredible. I love, uh, Sarah Jessica is, I can't say enough about the family you created. Your children are lovely, yeah. they're well-raised, they're polite. And yours, too. Thank you for joining me on Table for Two. Thank I you. I absolutely adore you and love you. I love you, too. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great day. Table for Two with Bruce Bozzi is produced by iHeartRadio, 737 Park, and Airmail. Our executive producers are Bruce Bozzi and Nathan King. Table for Two is researched and written by Bridget Arsenault. Our sound engineers are Paul Bowman and Alyssa Midgaff. Table for Two's LA production team is Danielle Romo and Lorraine Virez. Our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our talent booking is by Jane Sarkin. Special thanks to Amy Sugarman, Uni Cher, Kevin Uvane, Bobby Bauer, Allison Cantor Graber, Jody Williams, Rita Sodi, and the team at Via Corota in Manhattan's West Village. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.